Well, praise God. So uh, we're in a new book now, and we're going to be studying the book of Acts. The book of Acts, because I think we're in a season where, uh, you know, the God is moving in the earth and the church. There's nothing like studying the book of Acts to get back to the roots of what church is all about. Amen. And um, so we're going to study the book of Acts. I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a, I'm not going to get real far into the chapter tonight. Tonight just kind of kind of be like a, a bit of a summary, um, an introduction. And I do want to speak a, a little bit about the kingdom of heaven, um, how it relates to the book of Acts. But before we go there, you know, I want to, uh, a scripture that's really been hitting me right between the eyes this, since the beginning of the year is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Say amen when you're there. Remember, Timothy's, the, all the T's are tied together in the book. So, um, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and... Verse 16, 316, if you go through the Bible and you look at all the different 316 verses, it's pretty cool. There's some great stuff in there. Here's one of them. Um, it says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, how God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Amen? Amen? And the mystery of godliness. And that was talking about the incarnate of Jesus. You know, many false religions out there today believe that Jesus was a spirit, that he didn't actually take on flesh. That's something that the church needs to not let go of. We must preach the virgin birth. We must preach Amen. that Jesus put on Flesh. He took on flesh, okay? There is a God-man. There is a man right now, today, with a physical body sitting at the right hand of God. Amen? Amen. There's a man there. He's a real man. He's not a spirit like some of the Gnostics used to teach in the first century. And a lot of the false religions and the cults out there teach that he's a spirit. He is a man. He's a physical man, praise God. And hallelujah, thank God, the blessed hope, the physical man is coming back for us. Amen? Amen. And so he was justified in the spirit. When, when Jesus was raised out of the tomb, Paul teaches us that that was the vindication of God or the justification of God that he was who he said he was. Amen? Praise God. And our resurrection, when we're raised from the dead, it's going to be, we will be justified. You will know who is right and who is wrong at the resurrection. Amen? It's all about the resurrection. And then it says, he was preached unto the Gentiles. Aren't you glad? Amen. Within, within you know, the first century. We'll see when we study this book how a group of men and women, and women I say, not just men, godly women, 
shook the world. Amen. They shook the world. And it doesn't take much when the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost is in a few group of men and women who love God, who were sold out to his purposes and are filled with power. Amen. Praise God. And it says, and he was believed in the world and received up into glory. Now, when Paul wrote this, though, he was writing to Timothy about the church and all about, you know, Timothy's letters here talks about how the church should be run, how the leadership should work in the church. And he's explaining all this to Timothy because he told Timothy, we know when he was going to um, a city, he said, go into the city and set up elders. All right. And put the elders over the church, and this is how you should act. And so look at, just skip up a couple verses to verse 14. And this is my main point here. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto you shortly. All right? So Paul wanted to visit Timothy. Look at verse 15. But if I tarry long, that you mayest know... So in other words, I'm writing these things. I'm going to come to you. But if I don't get there for a long time, I'm writing these things. So thou out to know, so you out to know how to behave thyself in the house of God. Amen. How many know there's a way to behave yourself in the house of God? Amen. The house of God warrants a behavior. Amen. Amen. There is a way that the holy place of God's house should be. Be, praise the Lord. And he says, and why is this? Why is it important to behave thyself in a way in the house of God? Because the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Amen. We are the church of the living God, not a dead God. All right. You go to many uh, places and they're worshiping false gods and they're worshiping personalities that are dead. We serve a living God, a risen Savior. Now look at this. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. The church of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth. That's what we are. And the church of the living God is to maintain its steadfastness. It's to maintain being a ground of truth. Amen. Now, there's another place in Scripture. Uh, Keep your finger there real fast. And I'm looking for, I'm kind of going off the cuff on this one. I'll do a word search for the word oracles. Um, Oracles. And uh, let's see. Uh, Where is that at? There it is. Okay, so go to Romans chapter 3. So that what is, who, who's, the, who's the church? Uh, the church is the pillar and the ground of truth, amen? We see that. Now, Romans 3, look at Romans 3. Romans 3, verse 1, say amen when you're there. Amen. Praise God, good I like your guys' enthusiasm tonight. What advantage then has the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed what? 
the oracles of God, all right? Or in other words, the word of God, the scriptures, all right? The Jewish people have preserved the scriptures for us, amen? And from those scriptures, we know salvation, all right? But now the church is now the pillar of truth, all right? And so what we have here is we have a shifting. We have a shifting at the book of Acts into the church. Now, how many of you were here for the study of Revelation? We saw in the book of Revelation that there was a shifting in Revelation from the church to Israel again, all right? So God was shifting and transitioning from the church to the nation of Israel and working through the earth through Israel. Acts is completely opposite. What we see in Acts is we see God shifting from the nation of Israel working in the earth to moving into the church, all right? And why is this? Because go with, uh, let's go over to, um, well, let's look at a couple places. The first place, Matthew 4. Matthew 4, 17. I like to hear them pages flipping. That's awesome. Matthew 4, 17. Matthew 4, 17. Say amen when you're there. All right, Matthew 4, 17. Look at this. This was right after Jesus was tempted. All right, he passed. And... Um, I had heard somebody say that uh, usually in a fast, your hunger leaves after three days, but then it returns again in, in the, around day 40. And that's, you know, so you can get through hunger after about the first three days or so, but then that hunger hits again at the 40th day. Um, <laughs> Finnis Dakes, he had a Bible note there about fasting. He says, after 40 days, the human breath smells like a newborn babe. Isn't that crazy? So I don't know whether that's something I'm striving for, but uh, I could tell you one thing, though, while we're on about fasting here. Uh, if you've never fasted before, it's something that you should probably really think about doing to to add weight to your growth in Christ. Because Matthew teaches us when you pray, when you give, when you fast, amen? Fasting is not really a choice in the scripture. It's something that disciples should do to go deeper into the things of God. And um, did Catherine, did she give you instructions on, on fasting a little bit? Because if you've never fasted before, a good fast, and I might be repeating what she said, is from six a.m. to 6 p.m. You do a 12-hour fast from sun up to sundown, all right? And that's a good way to break into it. And then I highly encourage you to try to go to do a three-day fast um, and, you know, and go from there and then from a three to a seven, and you just keep working it out. And um, it's, uh, it really does, it does you wonders, amen? And um, so anyway, Jesus, after he fasted, it says he was endued with power. We know that. And it says from that time, verse 17, he began to preach. Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, you're going to see as you study the Bible, there is a kingdom of heaven and there's a kingdom of God. And sometimes the Bible just uses the word kingdom. All right? Now, we have to know, you guys know one of my favorite scriptures is to rightly divide the word of truth. Amen? And you got to know where to put the, the, the points of what divides this part from this part. And there is a dividing between kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. Matthew was the only gospel that the kingdom of heaven was ever mentioned. And if you study your gospel commentary or something like that, you'll find that Matthew was written to who? Primarily, who was Matthew's focus on? The Jewish nation. And his mission was to present Jesus of Nazareth as the coming Messiah and the king who would sit on David's throne. Amen? That's what his primary job was. And so we also saw in Luke, and many of you know the scripture, and for the sake of time, I'll just say some of these, is that, um, you know, the angel Gabriel said that Jesus would sit on the throne of his father, who? David, right? That Jesus would sit on the throne of his father, David. And so we know that that is going to be a literal throne that Jesus is going to come and sit on. We learned about that in the book of Revelation. That's all about what Revelation is about, the revelation of Jesus Christ coming back to earth here to sit on that throne, all right? So Matthew presents the kingdom of heaven, which actually could be, a better way to say that is not kingdom of heaven, but kingdom from heaven, amen? When the British colonized America, was this an American kingdom or was it a British kingdom? It was a British kingdom, wasn't it? All right? It was a British kingdom. And so the kingdom of, from heaven is Jesus from heaven coming down and establishing his rulership. All right? Now, Luke in other places talks about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not just a physical government of Jesus here on earth, but it is the all-encompassing sphere of God from creation. The Bible says from, from, uh, from eternity to eternity, all right, is the whole encompassing of God's kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, also within it, you have the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But what happened when he, when he came? Go to John chapter 1. Look at John 1 real fast. So Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven that is at hand. When he said that, when he preached that, he was preaching the kingdom of heaven is here. He's the king. He's come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, 1 John's gospel says this. Verse 10, chapter 1. John, chapter 1, verse 10 says, he was in the world, and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. 
He came unto his own, and what happened? His own received him not. So they did not receive him as king. They did not receive his kingdom, all right? They rejected his kingdom. They rejected him as the Messiah. They even made a, a public confession above, in front of all the elders and the high priests that we have no other king but Caesar when they were trying to put Jesus um, you know, on trial and get him crucified. They wanted him out of there. It's an official rejection, all right? And Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, um, where is that at? Uh, in Luke, I'm going, this is completely, I'm going off my memory here tonight a little bit on some of these things because technology is irritating. Luke chapter 13, look at this. Look at Luke 13. It's a Bible study. We like to do the Bible workout, amen? Luke 13, and it says um, verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which kills the prophets and stones them that are sent unto thee. Man alive. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen does gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. So Jesus came to gather. Jesus came to set up the kingdom with the Jews, but they rejected that kingdom. He, his intention was there. Now, he knew he was going to be rejected. Because in their rejection, that's what the entire rest of the New Testament, apart from the Gospels, is about, except for the book of Revelation, is about them, God turning their rejection into salvation for the Gentile nations. Amen? And that is good news. Amen? And he's not through with Israel. And there are many people, and you've heard me preach many times because I'm passionate about it, they try to make the church a replacement of Israel, and it is not a replacement of Israel. And that's why we have some really awful history on the fact of the matter. We're to love the Hebrews, love Israel as a nation, and support Israel as a nation as a church. Amen? Amen. Because if it wasn't for them, we, they, God used them to preserve the oracles of God. But in their rejection, all right, in their stubbornness of heart, the Lord now turns the kingdom into what the Bible calls the mystery of the kingdom, okay? It goes into the mystery of the kingdom, and that is what is known as the church, all right? And if you study out the book of Matthew, that's why we have the mystery of the kingdom parables. Because, see, when Jesus comes as a ruler, as a governor, the Bible tells us in Isaiah uh, you know, where's that one scripture where it says the he, counselor, the, 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 the end of his peace shall know no, uh, where is that uh, counselor? It's Isaiah something, isn't it? Um, but there's, an, 
It says that, you know, there will be no end of his peace. And we learned about that in Revelation, there'll be no end of his peace. You know, there's not going to be, in a sense, tares with the wheat, okay? But how many know right now we are in a season where tares are with the wheat, right? There are good people and there are evil people, even in church, in the so-called, you know, church, not as like the church I just was talking about, but in religious church or in the organization of church, okay? Because, um, you know, you have the possessors of the kingdom and you have those that profess the kingdom. There are those that are just a shallow confession, but they do not possess the power and the glory and the splendor of what God does in the earth with his true people, with his true church, all right? And that's why he told the disciples, look, don't go around trying to figure out, you know, who's the tares, who's the wheat, you know, don't go trying to destroy people, don't go have witch hunts like they did in, you know, in, in New England, in those, you know, bad, and some more bad history of, of, of church clergymen that didn't know their Bible, going, don't have witch hunts, you know, uh, people that don't know their Bible in Spain in the 1200s, going for inquisitions, trying to weed out the tares, not listening to what Jesus told the disciples to do. He explained to them, there is a mystery of the kingdom where it is going to be in the earth, but it is going to be in the earth in a covert operation, all right? You know, uh, those of you that, I love war films, and one of my favorite is Band of Brothers. You know, you gotta turn the language down a little bit, um, but the courage that was in those men to jump out of those planes, but what were they, what was the mission? Why were they doing that? Because we had to get men behind enemy lines secretly. Because there was, um, there was artillery that was going to destroy the mission of the beach landings. All right? So there was weapons that needed to be dismantled so that everybody could come ashore safely. And so what happened? They put men covertly behind the scenes. And that is exactly what Jesus has done with the church in this age. He has put his power, his authority behind enemy lines to uproot the weapons of the enemy so that the people that he has called to be in his kingdom forever can make it. They can make it ashore, amen? That is why he's called the church to be a deliverer, amen? He's called the church to be a healer, amen? He's called the church to just, uh, you know, take over the things, to not be weak, to not be, you know, oh, you know, we're just, uh, we're just biding our time before the Lord comes back. That is not how the church of the book of Acts is, Amen. And you were going to see that, praise God. The book of Acts, that's not like some of the churches I visited. I mean, I used to live in England. There would be some church, and I said, did I walk into a church or did I walk into a mausoleum? Which, which building am I in here? And you know, over there, they like to bury the dead in the churches. So they're pretty much like mausoleums, aren't they? So the book of Acts is going to be a strong message about the church, how it has moved into 
its position of authority in the earth. And we are, you are, I am, we are collectively as a body here at CLC, we are the pillar of God. We hold the, the truths, the banner of truths. That's why I can't believe these churches that are backing down from the word of God, from political pressure, from cultural pressure, from media pressure. Shame on them. Shame on them. We as a church are supposed to, whether it means our life or not, we are supposed to stand fast for the things that are true of the word of God because that's the church's mission, amen? Our mission is to be the pillar in the truth of God. And if you, and if you don't do it, God will bypass them just like he did Israel. Remember that one story? There's a story where he started... All the people that wouldn't believe, that wouldn't receive, that wouldn't hold fast to the truth. He just started listing cities. Bam. Capernaum. Bam. Chorazim. Bam. These guys and these guys and all the different places that Jesus ministered to, presenting the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom from heaven has come, but they would not have it. Why? Because they were stubborn in their own religious traditions and who they thought they were. Maybe they were worried about their position. Maybe they were worried about their job. Maybe the way Jesus was teaching might upset the cart, might, you know, get people to think, well, you know, we don't really need this guy anymore. Or maybe, maybe he's been teaching it wrong or this guy over here, you know, maybe they're worried about those kind of things. Listen, we have to be totally sold out to the cause of Christ and the cause of Christ within us, amen? And so that's the thing. So... If, if, you don't, if you don't do it, if you, if you don't, the, the, the pattern is there that God will just pass on by. Jesus will just pass us right on by, and he'll move, somewhere, he'll move on something else. I don't want Jesus to pass us by, amen? That's right. I, believe, I believe our church has a heritage and a destiny, amen? Yes, CLC has a heritage and a destiny. Yes, it, it has a heritage and a destiny. There are many words that have been spoken in our midst. There are many words that have been spoken before all of us even got here, okay? But there's one thing that each and every one of us in this room needs to hold on to with all of their breath is that God has raised us up as CLC to be a pillar in this county and to be a, a banner of truth in our city, amen? Because let me tell you something, in these latter days, there's going to be a lot of churches out here that are going to fall. They're going to fall away, and they're going to start preaching stuff that we know is wrong. Why? Because they can't handle the pressure. But that's where the miracles come, when a group of people full of the power of God, and we need the power of God, we can't do it on our own. We'll see in the book of Acts that they're constantly being filled with the power. Why? Because we can't do it in our strength. I, we can't do the things that, they, that we'll see here in the book of Acts under our own flesh and our own strength, our own power. Unless the Lord builds the house, amen, we labor in vain, praise God, the Bible says. So, you know, there has to be um, this desire within a people that they're going to stand up for the truth. And I believe we have that here. I believe we have that here. 
And I'm just speaking from the heart a little bit tonight because sometimes I come in here and I feel like people's faith is a little shaken or a little weakened or there's a little discouragement. But I'm telling you, each and every one of you in this chair, in these chairs right now, you guys have an unshakable devotion to what is true. That's why you're here. You want to stand up for truth. We want to stand up for truth. There's many other things, any one of us, there's many other places we all could be. We all could be in different places. But you know, I don't need another car giveaway. I need a manifestation of the power of God where it shakes me from my inner core so much that there's nothing of me left. That Jesus is completely moving through our hands and feet. Amen? So, um, so we see that there was the kingdom of heaven. And now we see that the kingdom of heaven is in a mystery. And if we go over to the book of Acts, praise God. Can everybody say amen? Amen. Look at verse 6. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. It says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Why did they ask that? Look at verse 3. It says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion or his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen of them for 40 days, and he was speaking of things pertaining to what? The kingdom of God. He was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is not political. The kingdom of God is spiritual. That's what Paul tells us, huh? He says, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's not of meat and drink. The kingdom of God is not physical, it's spiritual. But the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom from heaven is physical, all right? It is political because Jesus will govern when he comes back. So he's talking to them about the kingdom of God and they have mistakenly thought it as the kingdom that is going to be turned back over to Israel. Now look what he says here. In verse seven, he said, it is not for you to know the what? Times or the seasons. Look at that. Times is plural. They said, is this the time? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times. Because how many know from our revelation study, there are different dispensation of times that need to happen. Amen. There's the rapture. There's the tribulation. Then there's the millennium. There's different times. There's different dividing of times. The Bible teaches us. And so they were just looking for one time. And Jesus is reminding him here, look, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, all right? These times belong to the Father. 
And they're in his power. And um, you can do a word search on that, but power is sometimes used for authority. I haven't looked at that to see if that's the Greek word for authority or if that's dunamis and might, like dynamite. But the father has the authority over the times and the seasons, okay? And Jesus, some Bible teachers even say that it, at this moment, that Jesus didn't even know when he was going to bring back the church in the rapture. So you can wrestle with that on your own time, but many Bible teachers uh, believe, feel that way. But I tell you what, he's on the throne and he knows now, doesn't he? Jesus knows when he's coming for you. He knows when he's coming for me, amen? Praise God. So I think the book of Acts is one of my favorite books. You know, I, have, I always say that. This is my favorite. This is my favorite. Um, but the thing I like about Acts is it's, 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 it's named well. It's Acts. It's action. It's Acts. It's all about action. You know, I think if you're like, if you want to get, the Mark is an action gospel. Acts is an action gospel. Acts actually is considered the fifth gospel. It is part two of Luke's writings, all right? So if you look at Luke, go to the very first chapter of Luke 1. Luke 1. Luke 1 verse 1 says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So already in Luke's day, Luke is saying there are many people that have sat to record and write down everything that has happened in Jesus's ministry when he was here with us, all right? And I love how he, he put there, most surely believed among us, amen? How many can say the things that are in this book, they're most surely believed in me? They're most surely believed in us, amen? There's not a doubt. There's not one doubt that these things are true. I wasn't there when these were written, and I wasn't there when these things happened, but I can honestly tell you, most surely, I believe them. I believe them. It says they were delivered from us from eyewitnesses. So there were actual people there that saw what happened, all right? And they were ministers of the word. But pay attention to verse three here. It seemed good to me also, having a perfect understanding of all things from the very first. From the very first. Luke here was not present at the trial of Jesus or at Calvary or at the empty tomb. Okay, but it says he had a perfect understanding. And if you study out where it says perfect understanding of all things from the very first, there is a there's a, 
The Greek there is actually from above. So Luke is saying that I have an understanding from above. Remember what the Bible tells us? All scripture is given of inspiration of God, isn't it? Isn't that right? And then also another place it says, holy men of God wrote. Amen? Holy men of God wrote. And we must believe these things. I believe them. Holy men of God wrote. So Luke here, not only did he have a perfect understanding of what people were saying to him from people that were eyewitnesses, but he had inspiration from the Holy Ghost to write the things as well. And it's important to know that as a Bible student, especially with the book of Luke, because the book of Luke and the book of Acts are so accurate with their details of events, of leaders, of times, of seasons, that many people try to say that, you know, that maybe it really wasn't, you know, inspired or it wasn't written from him. He was just getting it from eyewitnesses and, you know, and just putting together pieces like he was a detective. Okay, look, that's that's hogwash. Luke may have done things as a detective to put these things, but Luke was inspired by the Holy Ghost to write the book and to write the book of Acts. Amen. Because holy men of God were divinely inspired to write these things. So he says, it seemed good to me also having the perfect understanding of all things from the very first or from above to write unto thee. Look at that. Say in order. All right. In order. You will find that the book of Luke in the book of Acts is such a detailed account of the things that happened. There are great two books to study together. Luke and Acts. Luke was a physician. He was an educated man. He was a man that, you know, was of detail, all right? And so he's saying here, I put things in order, most excellent Theophilus, why? That you might know the certainty of those things wherein you have been instructed. So Theophilus means lover of God. Theo meaning God, phileo or phyllis, where we get the word phileo or Philadelphia, brother of city of brotherly love. So put them, compound those together. Theophilus means a lover of God. So I like to put my name there. Are you a lover of God? I'm a lover of God. And so in order, most excellent lover of God, that you might know the certainty of those things which you've been instructed. All right. So that was Luke's first introduction of his gospel to Theophilus. Now, many Bible teachers believe that when Paul went to trial um, and he was going to go appear before Caesar, um, it's Roman law that you had to have a, a statement, a written statement or, you know, of, of the of of your case. All right. You know, and we see that today even in our court system. That's where we've carried these things over from, where, you know, in, in, if you were to go to trial or you have a, a lawyer, you have to prepare a statement. You know, you have affidavits. You have all these different things that the court uses as evidence to have the trial. And so there are many teachers that believe that Luke's gospel in the book of Acts was written in a way that could provide evidence so that when Paul was on trial. And I think that that's um, one of the neat things of why it was written. And, you know, there are different aspects of the Gospels. 
You know, we know that Matthew's gospel was written to the Jews to present him as king. Uh, Mark was written um, to the Romans, but, you know, presents him as a servant. All right. Um, Luke is a physician. His gospel was written with the Gentile in mind. All right. With with a human understanding. And John's gospel was written to the church. All right, and that's why I say John's always a difficult gospel to understand unless you've been born again and you're full of the Holy Ghost. That's why a lot of, you know, I remember when I was growing up, everybody used to always pass around the gospel of John. It can sometimes be, you know, a little overwhelming. It will present Jesus, but I think action gospel like Mark is a better gospel to present to an unbeliever. It tells who Jesus is, it's quick, it's punchy, and, you know, and then when they get saved, then you bring them into, you know, the gospel of John or, may, or, you know, something like that. But so remember, the Jew, the servant, the, the man, and the church. And funny enough, each one of those, you know, all have a ensign that we talked about when we studied the four living creatures in the book of Revelation. Each one of those um, creatures face is a symbol of each one of the Gospels. You have the, you have the Lion of Judah of Matthew. You have the ox of the servant. You have the, the man, man's face of Luke. And you have the eagle of, um, of John. And each one of those incense were also the way they lined up around the, the tabernacle when they were in the wilderness as the 12 tribes of Israel. So, so he opens up this book to Theophilus Right. And then going back over to chapter one, then now we can understand here where he says the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus. Now, it's probably thought that he's a little bit more informal with Theophilus. And many believe that by now Theophilus is a born again believer and he does become born again. You can do some research on him. Um, he was a, a mighty man of God, did wonderful things for the church um, in Antioch. And so, you know, he, him and Luke were from Antioch, the Antioch of Syria. And, you know, just go do a little Wikipedia on Theophilus and read about him. But now here in chapter one, he doesn't call him most excellent Theophilus. He just says, oh, Theophilus. So there's, he's, he, you can tell Paul, uh, Luke is, you know, not quite putting on the charm, if you like, or, you know, the, 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 the manners that you might speak to a dignitary. I think, I feel like he's now talking to him kind of a little bit like a brother. Now, the former treatise, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. All right, that's what Luke's about. Everything that Jesus began both to what? Do and teach, amen? How many know that or we know because we just read it, but Jesus has given us the example that the church should do and teach, amen? Nowhere does it say that I have found that Jesus went just about, you know, where he just did good. It always says he taught, he preached, and he healed. He taught, preached, and did good. He went out doing good with the preaching and the teaching, amen? And we need both. We need both in our church. We need both in our personal ministries. We need to have them both. Now, 
It says, and Jesus, as he began to do both do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he had, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. All right? So we know the author. We know who it was written to. We know why it was written. And then next week, we'll continue our um, look at this chapter as we get into the, the nuts and bolts of this kind of, not the famous last words of Jesus, but the last words of, of him speaking to the disciples here on planet Earth. Amen. Praise God. Everybody, I hope you got something out of that. Amen. Pastor, appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we'll, uh, we'll get into the rest of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verse 3, next week. Make sure you tell your friends and your family and different members of the church that uh, come to come support the study, come support, learn about how God wants us to be as a church as we study the book of Acts. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Pastor.